Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome. You're listening to the Golf Under Par podcast. As the title suggests... On the Gup, we talk about all things relating to golf performance, so you can golf under par. While listening, you'll hear discussion on all facets of golf, physical, mental, and whatever else will make you a better golfer. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough. I'm a golfer myself, as well as a physical therapist and strength coach. Let's take this journey together to golf under par. Thank you for listening. Now let's dive in. Welcome, everybody, to the Golf Under Par podcast. This is Dr. Jeremy McCullough here with a special guest, Coach Dan John. Um, many of you, if you follow any kind of strength training stuff, you'll probably come across his name at some point. He's rather legendary, we'll say, in, in the strength world. Um, and he's also a writer. He's also a professor. And so we're very glad to have you on here, Dan. And thank you so much for coming. Hey, I appreciate that. I'm glad we got on early. Uh gentle listener we had a little bit of uh there's a little audio glitch there but i think we're gonna be okay yeah all right so i always ask kind of you know most of my most of my uh, listeners well most of my guests so far have been all golf related you're not necessarily in the golf niche but you work a lot with rotational rotational athletes particularly uh, olympic throwers and and that range um so i'm curious what's your kind of background basis with golf you ever played do you Oh, yeah, I play. Yeah, I mean, uh, my father-in-law is a real good golfer. My son-in-law is a real good golfer. And if there's, there's a kind of tournament where we all get to hit off the tee and then we all get to do best. Something like, well, my father-in-law used to always bring me, and I would just sit basically in the golf cart, drink beer, and just, you know, because, you know, I could either hit it really, really long and straight or it's terrible, and that's all I was good for. So I knew that, and uh, – I would say on the 18 holes, probably nine or 10 of them were my uh, <clears throat> whack, you know, and then those other seven, eight or so, well, those balls will never be found. Those, those, <laughs> those balls will be part of the environment, you know, a billion years from now, some, you know, insect archaeologists will go, wow, how'd this end up here? Uh, <laughs> but, you know, uh, as a, as a discus thrower, uh, especially and even my hammer throwing, especially with my Highland game hammer throwing, uh, I use a lot of research, a lot of work from golfers. Um, you guys are a lot more, you guys are well-funded, and uh, those of us who throw things are not well-funded. Uh, Jim McLean, The X Factor. Uh, I've got a free book on my website called The Contrarian Approach to the Discus, and you'll notice that a huge part of my coaching of the throws is based on uh, uh, McLean, L-M-C-L-E-A-N, I believe. Yeah, one of the areas of golfing uh, that I use a lot is uh, the work of Jim McLean, I think, M-C-L-E-A-N, McLean. Uh, his work, uh, in fact, I actually bought the Golf Digest, I think it was. I, I bought, there was two or three, maybe four uh, articles by him, and I thought they were all gold mines. Um, so, and I later found out that some of you uh, golf people don't like his work, but I don't care because it really helped us in the discus throw and the hammer throw. Um, 
In fact, that's when we started getting, that's I started having throwers get on both knees and throw, getting throwers to, to half kneeling uh, both ways, uh, you know, uh, the more traditional throwing stance and then the goofy leg. Um, geez, uh, sitting on things, do a few drills. Get them not hard. Now that's a little, you gotta be careful the sitting down. That puts a ton of stress on uh, some, some of the joints because you're, you're locked. Right. Uh, yeah, so the work, his work was just really helpful. Uh, teaching what we're trying to do, you know, in the throw to allow that massive stretch reflex that makes a good thrower a phenomenal thrower. And there's, that's the difference. Uh, you know, I read, you know, I, there's a few books I've read on golf and strength training. And no offense, I think the bulk of them are, are very, uh, they're, they're, they're going in the wrong direction. As, and I'm saying this as, as a, when you throw the discus 10 to 15,000 times a year for 40 years, you begin to understand that the spinal column has to be loved a little bit and loading it ballistically, rotationally is a lot to ask of it. So, and if folks, you want to just look up, it's free on my website, but I have a free book called a contrarian approach, the discus throw, and you can see my insights from McLean in there. Okay. Cool. So I've talked a lot about, about your kind of, basic human movements and with other other guests that we've had on the podcast and myself when I kind of go into those things. So a lot of the players are, are a lot of the listeners here are familiar with that training. Um, I'm curious kind of your approach on those things specifically as it relates to the, ro- the rotational athlete. Sure. Well, basically it's, it's interesting because I got the magazine right behind me. I'll pull it up. Uh, will they be able to see this? Yeah, we'll, we'll get some video and, um, for those I had, and also get some. Just this is Strength and Health magazine from May 1964, and I've been looking for the particular article. It's got to be 20 plus years. Okay, this is why it's it's fun to be around a lunatic. It was, and I kept thinking the guy said it in the article, and that's why I couldn't find it. Well, it's a high school track coach, and I think he's from Virginia. I think he's from Virginia. And he was using weight training with his high school team, which, you know, in 65 is sorry cutting edge, you know. And he quotes in the article the very famous line, and he says the late Harry Paschal, uh, who was a, uh, he'd be most famous if you know your strength history, Bosco, the Bosco drawings, the guy with the, Bosco had a big saucy mustache. And, okay. And he said that rotational strength doesn't come from twisting exercises. It comes from the lower back and hips, which you build up. And, you know, uh, so if you want to be good at sprinting, hurdling, throwing, you don't do rotational work. You get strong in the lower back and get strong in your hips. I have been looking for that quote, honestly, when, since I was young and good looking. I'm telling you, Jeremy, it's been a long time. Um, I, I think that is absolutely the, the best. So I break down lifting into uh, five parts, push and pull which everybody does way too much. Squat, hinge, which is different. That's one of the deadlifts. And then loaded carries. So if I was working with a golfer, we would find an appropriate squat movement. Not something to build up their strength, but something to build up their mobility. And some expert a few years ago, probably the smartest person in strength training, came up with an exercise called the goblet squat. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yep. You know who invented that, Jeremy? Uh, I'm going to say you. There you go. You get okay. So what I would have a golfer do is I'd probably have them do you know even a 
even if I said seven days a week, I would have them do uh, goblet squats, not for the strength aspect, but for the mobility aspect of it. Okay. You know, and prying those knees, push those knees apart, the elbows, open the hip, open everything else, you know, do a few curls down there, open things up. The real strength is going to come from the other two movements, some kind of hinge. And then and I have a very specific thing in the world carries for golfers, some kind of hinge. It could be a deadlift. If, if you can learn to do a kettlebell swing, um, I have a video I just put out. It's free. It's on my Instagram. I explain the difference between a hinge and a fold. And you know what? If you, if you don't mind, it's in my YouTube. It's on my, if you just connect that, just so people, and the exercise I, I show people is called the magic drill. And that's where you put your toes up on plates or a board. You put a band around your knees and push those apart. And then you put a load around your belly so your belly is activated. And all you're going to do is push your butt back. That's the whole exercise. You okay. push your butt back. And if you feel it in your hamstrings the next day, I know that we did it right. Because the hamstrings in this exercise are the, the bowstring of a bow and arrow. So a hinge is right. the bow, and the top of the hinge is a plank. So it's bow and arrow, bow and arrow, bow and arrow. So goblet squats, uh, the magic drill, and then from my work with Stu McGill up there in Waterloo, Canada, best back expert in the world, the suitcase carry. Uh, that's not a farmer block walk but it's a one-handed farm walk. So you put load in the hand and you go for a walk. Uh, it's interesting because uh, Stu one time went back to his, he, he listened to this brilliant strength coach talk about the suitcase carry. Oh, that was me again. And <laughs> so, but the nice thing is Stu went up to his lab and he said, damn, he's right. This is probably the best thing you can do. The nice thing for the listeners is all I'm telling you to do is pick up a weight. Honestly, if you're a gentleman, you could probably go 50 plus pounds 50 to 100 on day one. Ladies, you'd be surprised how much you can carry with one hand, 35 to 50, and you walk. And when you get tired with the one hand, you switch and you keep walking. Now, use some, like I tell the dumb guys, make sure you make it in a loop, because if you just go out, you got to bring it back, you know, somehow, which actually is a good little workout. Um, so, so for me, if I was working with a golfer, I would do the goblet squat or a body weight squat daily, the magic drill or some kind of hinge, you know, three days a week, it would follow by a suitcase carry. And you're going to say, well, that's not very much. It's like, well, yeah, but what we're trying to do is build up the, the systems that are being asked to work in the golf store. In addition, we're trying to, I would rather you swing your club uh, 300,000 times a year and never get hurt versus we doing an exercise with me and cutting your number of swings down to 10 because your back's killing you or whatever it is is killing you. Um, and then probably the only other bit of advice I would give you uh, uh, golfers is I would find a friend who's left-handed if you're right-handed and I would every so often go out to the driving range probably once every two weeks and just, you know, warn all your friends and hit from the goofies inside. Yeah, love that because everybody does the same thing, same thing. You develop these asymmetries and going the other way gives you at least some. And also, I always use it kind of like as a, a maybe a breaking mechanism. Yes. Teach those muscles to kind of work that way. I would even add one more thing. 
So how many times have I thrown the discus? I mean, the truth is, it, go 15,000 times 40, and that's probably a good number. That's got to be more than 100, right? I and mean, that's a lot of throws. That was a joke. <laughs> what happened when my friend Ben Tuma finally convinced me to go left-handed is that I discovered that my brain was on overdrive trying to teach my left side what to do. My brain knew all the shortcuts, but had forgotten the foundations, the basics, the simple stuff. So monkey brains out there trying to orchestrate, you know, he, monkey brains run around to the orchestra yelling to, you know, trying to say to the, 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 the violin player, you, more, more rub, running up to the trumpet player, use your middle finger, blah, 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 instead of standing back and just waving the arms and letting things happen. Right. When I throw right-handed, I'm a conductor. When I threw left-handed, it's like I had to learn everyone's uh, uh, instrument at the same time. And then all of a sudden, there's this wonderful moment where you break uh, mentally. You, you stop. And all of a sudden, you, all of a sudden you're throwing. At discus camp, I used to teach our throwers to do an additional 360-degree turn followed by the full throw. And, the, and at the end of that particular session, the kids would say, that's weird. I, that was weird. I, I did. I, I did a full. I did a, an extra turn plus the discus turn, and threw it. And then you could just see their eyes suddenly go. Why did I think throwing normal was so hard? And that's a great. So it's a great plateau breaker, maybe. Uh, but not a plateau like in a strength plateau where you you bench four hundred and you get stuck there. But no, more like uh, the plateau you get when you're learning how to type. And, and when you first learn how to, it's still. Chunk, 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 chunk. And then something happens and you type the, you don't type the, you, you do that. You know, that weird, and yeah. that's what happens. You get that weird, and it's, <laughs> and yeah, and I, I will say, it is a chance for you to watch your own monkey brain work. Another thing that is interesting, and I, my good friend uh, Al Einstein and I used to talk about this in Switzerland at the post, at the post office. It completely changes your concept of time. So if you usually hit 100, 100 balls, a couple of buckets of balls, normally, it really doesn't take very long. You know, however long it takes. Say, say it's, uh, I don't know, say like you've got two buckets of balls over at Murray Park. 15 minutes, does that about sound about right, two buckets of balls? Uh, probably go a little bit longer than that, but you can, you can go through a bucket of balls pretty darn quick. You're right. When you go left-handed, that bucket, you'll look over there and you'll be like, huh? and you'll be like thinking somebody is adding balls because you just feel like you're out there so long. And, and what, what my buddy uh, Albert Einstein told me, he says, Danny, this is what I've been trying to tell you about is time is relative. And I went, you're right. You're right, Al. And so I said, you, I said Al, you should write something about that. I really put this down on paper. And, and, and I understand he finally got around to it. But it is strange because I'm, I'm saying that, and some of your listeners might even try it, but they will notice that a single bucket seems to be like some weird spring that keeps refilling itself because time will change. Your concept of what it takes to hit a bucket of balls will change, which is right. a good thing. Yeah, no, I actually love that, that, that analogy of the, the conductor and, and, and another reason for doing something opposite what you normally think of 
because um, I mean, what I understand as a physical therapist, and we talk about you know your motor learning, you have like a general processing center, and that has a program that says, okay, this is how you walk, right? Do, 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 do. And that might might get tweaks according to well, maybe your knee or your hips hurting you or something along those lines, right? And so you do it a little bit differently, um, but essentially that program is is going to run. And so by having to do it the opposite direction, you're kind of almost like reteaching your body how to do it because it's going to do the same thing no matter what side you do. Like the process is still the same. Let me just share one more story on this. So I was born with a condition called pistol grip hips. Basically, according to my doctor, the day I was born, it wasn't a matter of if, it was when on total hip replacements. Uh, my niece, when she was born, had to wear uh, this weird little brace that held her heels together because she had it. Um, my brother, he has it on one side, total hip. My cousin has it. It's, it's, it's just DNA. It's not my fault. I'm a good person. <laughs> but I put off the surgeries for a long time because uh, that was the phrase we used. Oh, I'm an idiot. And... Uh, not long after the last surgery, so I'm all I'm, I'm titanium on both hips. Is I'm walking, and one of my uh, friends, uh, interns, assistants, whatever you want to call, them, says, "Are you okay? You're limping." And I went, "Oh, I forgot. Sorry." And I stopped limping. Well, I limped for almost 12 years, so my my gait had become limping, and so I have had to reteach myself how to walk without a limp. And I'm going to tell you, can I just give you a little odd little hint for this? Ankle weights. Okay. Five pound ankle weights because when you have the ankle weights, uh, I notice uh, I, I work with a guy who's starting to walk. He walks kind of, uh, is, is it duck-toed? Is out, yeah, duck-toed. Yeah. Is, he walks duck-toed. And I told a friend of mine, I said, here's the funny thing, is if you put on ankle weights, it clears up that duck-toe stuff. Uh, now, I'm sure it's because, you know, the load is making you, you know, all that right. other stuff gets turned on and, you know, you're, you're probably work, you know, the common word now is either potentiate or we used to say fire. You're firing those muscles, but you're going to, you can fall down this rabbit hole of having a limp if you limp for a while. And you actually have to consciously sit down with the whole orchestra and say, okay, brass section, I've enjoyed your work. You guys got to turn it down. Okay. Mm -hmm. You got to turn it down. And uh, I don't know where happened the percussion, but you guys got to come back. And then it, and it takes a while to get back all those things. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard it described as, you know, we, it's like pulling a book off of the shelf. You always have that book on the shelf, but you can always kind of rewrite a little bit and have another book there for that. And so sometimes, what are you talking about? Okay, you lived for 12 years. Well, you still have the original walking book still up there, but you got this one book here that, that is kind of like that limping book. Yeah. And so, and, and, your, and your listeners, if they do try, and by the way, did you notice I only said about, well, I would say once every two weeks at most. Um, but you might find yourself wanting to do it more often. And I think that would be good. Now I've heard people say, well, you should do like maybe 10%. Personally, I like to go, this is just maybe me, maybe your listener, your listeners don't have the squirrel issue, squirrel uh, issue that I have. But for me, I like to say, okay, today's left-handed. This session is left-handed. And just 
go all in and, and, and don't reward yourself. I mean, take the club, go back to the car, go home. Yeah. Don't reward yourself with those, those nice, oh, this is, you know, everyone's watching you hit badly for an hour or whatever it is. Go home. Don't try to say, oh, that, I, was just, I was just messing with you. Um, by the way, in the, if you watch The Princess Bride, there's a very insightful scene about uh, left-handed versus right-handed. So there you go. There, there it is. Um, <clears throat> awesome. Well, so I wanted to make sure we touch on, on this. So what, what do you use in the gym to create a rotational power and speed for, for your throwers? Squats, cleans, snatches, deadlifts, kettlebell swings, uh, heavy farmer walks, pushing the prowler, front squats, overhead squats. Not a single rotational thing. Yeah. None. And I'm just telling you from the heart, Jeremy. Uh, how old are you, Jeremy? Just This will be fun. I'm 31. Okay, I started throwing the discus in 1970. Okay. I have tried every exercise, sacks and side bends, Russian deadlifts, those stupid hockey deadlifts, none of them. All they do is hurt you. And yet when I ignored it is when I threw the farthest. Okay. Um, if you look on the cover of my book, Never Let Go, I'm recovering from a broken wrist from weightlifting. And I'm carrying about a 100-pound uh, sandbag. Uh, bear hug style. And you can see the cast on my left hand if you know what you're looking for. And I'm dragging the sled. So 100-pound bag, bear hug style, building up all the anaconda strength. Uh, anaconda strength is that internal pressure. Yeah. Um, and if you're listening right now and you're seated, a good way to, to practice uh, anaconda strength normally is push your lower back as hard as you can into your seat, into your seat back. Just push your and what you'll notice is that makes your ab wall work better than the thousand, all the thousand other idiotic things you can do. Just simply push your lower back into the back of the seat. Anaconda strength is whatever happened to the rest of the abdominal wall. When I push this, everything else, I mean, everything up and down is firm. Anaconda strength is that squeeze pressure. Well, what's funny is I had a broken wrist, so I couldn't bench press, I couldn't press. Uh, I did front squat with one hand extended but it was front squats with one hand extended and carrying stuff with a sled behind me. And that set up the best three years of my throwing career at the age of 47, 48, 41, 50. I wasn't 21, 22. Uh, I had two full-time jobs. I had two kids in middle school and my workouts were front squats and carrying stuff. And I threw farther than I ever had in my life. And that's when, it was during those seasons that I said, you've got to start thinking outside of this box that we got put into by bodybuilders from about 1975. Um, I'm a big believer in the workers. Uh, the book's right there. John, uh, John Jerome's uh, book, Staying Supple, is number one thing. The body is one piece. So I'm an absolute, absolutely against this idea of body part training, which we call Frankenstein's monster training. Uh, I, if, if, if any of your golfers think you're going to improve your grip by doing a little wrist, grab, grab a, uh, 165 pounds per hand and go for a walk. L then you'll know if you have grip strength. Or not. 
um, that's what builds grip strength. And what I began to understand at that time, and, and it's a, I, I'm, I'm very optimistic, Jeremy, to, to a fault. And I think 2020 has been a rough year, frankly. Um, RBG left us last week, um, COVID. We started the year off with a really big earthquake here in Salt Lake. The mountains around me are on fire. Uh, the smell of the smoke from the California fires is killing me. But you know what? I think it's, this can make us better. I think the lessons we learned of COVID are going to make us better. So I never see a surgery or an injury as a bad thing. I see it as a chance that maybe I'll learn something from it. That my adaptions to the injury will make me learn something. So what I learned from that broken wrist and the two surgeries was I learned that training the athlete is the body is one piece. That's that's the fundamental. The body is one piece. So if I increase my ability to have my anaconda strength, by the way, you know, when I'm on the beach, I'm not flexing. Well, these are my armacondas. I'll flex those for the girls. <laughs> those muscles that build up that internal pressure, uh, which probably protect your back better than 90% of the crap you do, uh, the suitcase carries, uh, that stuff is going to make you hit the ball farther and probably straighter, far better than doing bicep curls and tricep extensions, calf raises. And why a golfer would do calf raises, I don't know. Uh, there's there's some uh, vertical component that has been shown to increase club head speed, but that's probably not your best go-to. Yeah, that's that's a bit of a reach. Yeah, and of course, <laughs> studies 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 can always, yeah yeah studies make studies yeah uh, yeah. So that that's if you don't mind, that's that's those would be my insights for for uh, getting stronger as a golfer in rotational work. Now you'll notice I didn't say much about push and pull. Um, Generally, for the golfers I see, uh, I'd love to see them hang from a bar. Uh, not do pull-ups necessarily, just hang. Try to get those shoulders mobilized again. There's a great little book and a study from uh, Hawaii. I think it's called the Kauai, Kono or Kauai study. Uh, I'll, I'll save you the money for the book. Hang. Hang. There, there, I just saved you a lot of money. And I tell you, it's done miracles for not only me, being a thrower for you know, that long. You know, my, my shoulders are you know, pretty you – know, it, someone's going to say, well, if you threw better, you wouldn't have shoulder problems. Yeah, really? Really? That's – you throw 15,000 times a year. Tell me if every one of them is perfect, you know. Um, it's done miracles for me, my Olympic lifters, and just my general population of people too. Uh, I work with the military, and when the guys come home from deployment, we have a whole program called the post-deployment program uh the big thing month one they hang and they try to get that hang higher and higher my goal for them is to hang for four minutes said, well let me tell you the actual yeah so here's the goal hang for 30 seconds do one pull-up stay up there hang for another 30 seconds do the second pull-up hang for another 30 seconds do the third pull-up and here's the goal hang for another 30 seconds and do the fourth the world record that I know on this is six. Uh, I'm proud to say that I can't do that. <laughs> uh, you got some work to do then. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I worry about a few other things at 63. <laughs> Not on the top priority, huh? <laughs> well, it's in there, yeah. But, you know, so I didn't mention push and pull because – 
most of your, the males listening, they, if they do lift weights, they do too much pushing already. You know, um, uh, it, it takes a while to, to fix that, uh, to, to undo that imbalance. Um, well, I mean, and, and I know you guys have some famous golfer who is uh, named after some kind of like a, a feline. I, I can't remember his name. I think his family's from the forest. Uh, <laughs> leopard forest. Yeah, something like Tiger Woods. I don't know. Well, maybe that's that's it. Yeah. And you know, there was a time when they were all talking about how he weighed 185 and benched three, but that was also the time when his doctor uh, got nailed for um, carrying certain things. Yeah. Uh, so if you think you're going to be Tiger Woods by benching three, you, you, you're greatly mistaken. Guy like Tiger, who you know, I mean, he was on the Merck Griffin show, Mike Douglas show, when he was two golfing. I mean, come on, yeah. you know, you, you can't follow his program. I mean, you, know, you can certainly study him and learn, but you got to, you just got to be, you know, be realistic. Yeah, no, I so yeah, you can bench a lot, but it's not going to help the bulk of the listeners. Listen, there's probably one person on the planet a little bit more. Right. I almost always tell people, you know, you probably need to be doing two or three times the amount of pulling exercises versus the push, just because we spend so much time forward, rounded over. These muscles tend to be already strong in most people and they like to work on them. Well, and, you know, and Jeremy, I don't know how we feel about um, Yonda anymore, but I, I've always been a big fan of the work of Yonda. Yeah. And, you know, he talks about the tonic and facing muscles as well. As we age, our biceps, our pecs, our hip flexors, our hamstrings all begin to tighten up. You know, if I want to turn into an old man, I just bend my biceps, bring the pecs forward. And I always tell my people, you want to stretch, you want to stretch those muscles and build up the facets, I think. So that's the glutes, that's the, the rhomboids, that's the deltoid, the triceps. You just worked on those four muscles. Oh, and the ab wall, by the way, the ab wall, that's all fast twitch muscle fiber. The yeah. ab wall, and the best way I know to build the ab wall is vomiting. You know, uh, it's a great ab workout, but uh, doing 10,000 crunches, is, you're gonna pay a high price for it. That's why I like that little drill, pushing your lower back into the back of your chair, because you're, you're making the ab wall deal with that, you know? So. Yeah, I really like that tip. It's a really simple tip. Yeah, for everybody to kind of grasp, and it's easy to do. And I, you know, as soon as I did it, just feel everything kind of. Yeah, and it's weird about how it hits the obliques and the the. It, I hate. To, uh, sorry, folks. I hate to mention anatomy, but it does even feel it up towards the intercostals and that kind of diaphragmy area. Yeah, you know. Yeah. and all you're doing is pushing your lower back as hard as you can into the back of the seat. It's stealing. Yeah. So then, with that is. <laughs> brings the question of talking about using squats as you know, especially the goblet squat for that mobility. Do you ever, you, you were talking about doing the sandbag grabs. Would you recommend doing that to kind of engage more of that while you're producing some of that force? Okay. This is a funny thing. I was at a workshop and I was up in, uh, I was working with the army special forces and they had these wrestling, uh, wrestling bags that weighed about a hundred, 110 pounds. And so I got a whole bunch of them. I had them sandbag, uh, bear hug carry them, okay? So uh, if you can't see me, I'm bear hug carrying 110 pounds. 
And then I said, do me a favor and squat. And everyone who squatted perfectly. Mm-hmm. Of course, because, you know, you're not, this is a hard thing for people to learn. And I'm certainly no physiologist or anatomist or anything. But your legs are not underneath you. Your body is slung between your legs. So the mistake most people make when they squat is they, I call it accordion squat. But what you actually do is you slide your body through your knees, through your legs, not on them, through them. So by having that huge wrestling back there, there was no way they could push their knees forward. They just went straight down. It, in fact, I'm glad I didn't find that out too early in my career, Jeremy, because literally the goblet squat was invented when I was trying to teach 65 people at once how to squat. And I realized I needed a better tool than all the crap that I had. No, I, I mean, Dick Notmeyer, my coach, ooh, that was a good squatter. But he had time to walk me through it. But if you got 65 people that once, you have to come up with a tool. And that tool is the goblet squat. In fact, the funny thing is that this is, this is the goblet that uh, is the name of the goblet squat. So that was made by my national champion, Paul Murphy. Uh, but uh, yeah, so side thing. My middle name is Arthur. I've had a love affair with Kenny Arthur since I was born. Originally, that was the Holy Grail squad. Even I thought that was too stupid. So, yeah. <laughs> of course, Indiana Jones in the third crusade and the last crusade had the, it all made more sense. Yep. Awesome. So, one more thing, one more question I kind of wanted to get into. Um, I've heard you talk about this snapicity or the snap that you see. Snapacity. Snapacity. <laughs> Sorry. Um, with with regards to generating power to uh, you know that I guess fast twitch fibers and and whatnot is what I believe you're. Let's separate, let's separate the word back to where it started. So snap is the thing I want my athletes to have, and snap is this. That's a snap. If I hold too much tension, it makes no noise. If I have none, it makes no noise. I got to find the right place. So what builds snap? are the exercises like the hip thrust, the kettlebell swing, the Olympics. That builds that ability to not, if you've ever hit somebody hard in an American football tackle, you turn yourself into a torpedo, right? That's true. But before you did, you snapped. The other side of the word is work capacity. What I want you to be able to do as an athlete is not just hit you hard once. I want to hit you hard over over and over again. So I want to build up your ability to snap. I shove those two words together into snap acid. It's the ability. So for your golfer, you know, even if you're, you, you hit a hundred, okay? 72 whole course and you, you're a hundred. Is that good? No. A hundred good? Eh, you know. It's probably average. Yeah. But how many times in a, in a, in a, in a golf game do you snap hard well this this guy who hits 100 seven uh par 72 18 whole course we know for sure he has 18 drives right 18 big probably another this guy sounds like he's probably gonna have another 20 at least of you know other big hits and then 50 punts right correct so 
even even if you you're not a great golfer, you're still going to be called upon to have a level of snapacity to just to, to be not very good. And if you want to be really good, you're probably going to have 18 drives that are like, hmm. so you need eight, but you can't. I mean, I don't want to see you hitting 450 on the first three holes and then 400, 300, 128. <laughs> because you don't have the ability to bring that snap back. Right, right. Awesome. So you're saying the hip thrust, the snatch, some of the Olympic lifts, um, kettlebell swing. For your listeners, if you guys can look up the hips, the hip thrust, uh, and probably that, I call it the Bulgarian goat bag swing, but just look at that video that's up of the magic drill. It's, it's the goat bag swing. And just put your knees up on something. You don't need anything around your, the, the bands around your, your knees. Um, those two exercises for most people, not only that, it's going to cure a whole bunch of your lower back issues. I'm not trying to, so often when I work with someone who has a low back, now, having said, okay, if it's a collision, automobile accident, uh, collision in a, a collision sport, collision occupation, uh, okay, let's put those to the side. Most people hurt their backs because they, they lose their butts. Uh, you, you, you give up using your butt. And, and when you're doing something like a hinge and you feel sore the next day in your lower back, you weren't hinging. If your hamstrings are killing you, thank you very much. I'm here. I'll be here all weekend. Tip your weights down. You know, because I was right. So that's kind of the, So that would be the thing I'd like to usher you into a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, mean, I talk about that all the time with, with golfers and how, you know, a lot of the back issues that golfers have, and it's quite prominent amongst golfers, I mean, quite prominent in general population as well, but it's usually referring to, okay, limited hip mobility, and you're trying to make, you're trying to make this rotational movement, and you don't have any hip mobility to allow that, or you're not losing your glutes any. <clears throat> So the gobble squat and the hinge work, probably I'm on the right track. Yeah. And here's another interesting thing, Jeremy, I don't know how you would study it, but uh, I noticed a lot of the golfers over here, uh, you, they don't use the golf carts as much, but they use those little carts, those carry carts. Push carts, yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting to study guys who use push carts versus golf carts for lower back issues. Because I'm convinced that walking after every swing in my mind, as in, in the world I live in, that walk is probably going to do more to help your spinal column, your hip mobility, versus getting back into the position I'm in right now called seating and driving around the golf cart. So it'd be interesting to see that. Um, I, I did watch a golf match not long ago. One of these young men has a real bad hip issue, and I thought, you know, and the guy kept coming out and working with him. I kept thinking to myself, I know this is an important event for you, but I think long-term, you want to deal with that hip injury before you start swinging hard on, on the ball. Uh, but, hey, I will never question a performance athlete who's staying out there because uh, that's, how, that's how baby gets your milk. So I understand that. You know. Right, right. It's a tough, tough line to make that decision of, okay, I can make money now versus looking at making money in the future potentially. And a lot of factors into it. Well, 
I'm very grateful, gracious with your time here. Just real fast, I'd like, uh, you know, one takeaway you would like for our listeners to apply to you today or tomorrow. Well, if I could, if I could grant a magic wish to every single American, walk 10 minutes before every meal. Uh, if, if, if I could get all of us to just do that and it doesn't, it'd be nice if it was a, a, you know, a a determined half mile walk, but if it's just a saunter, dare I say a mosey, uh, I I think, I I think this, I think every chiropractor in America would be out of business tomorrow. Uh, I I got bad news for all you, all the PTs out there, a whole bunch of uh, and nutritionists, I got bad news because you're going to be out of work too. Uh, but since that's never going to happen, I'm not that worried. Uh, well, and then one other thing, if you don't mind, uh, our family motto is make a difference. Uh, my wife and I, that's, 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 pardon me, it's our mission statement. That's our mission statement. And I think if more people would uh, be more, any jackass, Jeremy, can find problems. I want people who solve problems, and that's why I like that conversation. You seem like a problem solver, yeah. and uh, let's make a difference. Do something to make the world just a little better today. Uh, please don't tell me that the world's got problems. Let me know your solution, and then let's start pushing ahead on that. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and something I talk, I say almost every every episode is I always think it's the small, simple consistency that leads to greatness or leads to the changes that we're looking for. I, you know, if I can add one thing, it's it's got a name, and I think it's Norwegian. But, folks, whenever you go for a walk, bring a plastic sack and maybe one or two gloves. And when you see litter on the ground, bend over and pick it up. I'll tell you this. I thought it was a joke, and so I did it the first time. I've got this uh, – uh, I wear these rucking – you know, these big – I think one of them's 30. I got one that's got to be about 80. So I thought yeah, – I said, I read this thing. Don't you know who I am? I'll wear a weighted vest. I was more sore picking up that trash than deadlifting over 600, cleaning over the floor. I was, my hamstrings the next day, what is going on up there? So when you take this 10-minute walk, bring a trash bag. And, and if you see a mess in your neighborhood, don't wait for somebody else to do it. You go clean. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, for coming on today, Dan. Uh, what What's the best way to kind of learn more about what you're doing or how we can support you and all the, the changes that you're trying to make to make the place better? So there's two places. There's danjohn.net, and that's my library, okay? That's where I – articles I wrote in 1997, six are up there, uh, newsletters that I've written. I just try to, uh, I got three free books up there, one on weightlifting, one on throwing, and one on being a father. Um, Somebody asked one time, why didn't you write it for mothers? And I said, you know, you know, you make a good point, but I can only, you know, I'm not, okay, but again, but the place that I'm, but my active place is Dan John University. And on there, uh, Jeremy, we have a thing called the workout generator. And this might be great for your listeners. You click whatever pieces of equipment that you have in your home. You click what kind of workout you want. And then the generator spits out a personalized workout for you. What's fascinating is I said this the other day to Brian, the guy who designed the whole thing. I said, 
I, I looked at the workout it, it gave to me, and I'm like, dude, I've been lifting weights from, since 1965, Jeremy. I started lifting weights in 1965. What did you think about that? This is my 55th or 56th year putting weights over my head. I, I've coached at, at every level. I, I can't write better workouts than that because it is what my brain thinks without my idiocy getting in the way of it. My, the Dan John, is it AI, artificial intelligence, doesn't have the squirrel factor that the real one has, the real DFT. And, and you press these workouts. And my favorite one, uh, if you don't, if you have a thing called the linear warm-up, I always go to the auction to walk. And it says, oh, go walk for 10 minutes. So now I'm doing a little foam rolling, a little stretching, a 10-minute walk, and then I work out. And it's like, damn, why have I not been doing this before? But uh, you also find there's probably... Oh, for, there's a bunch of downloaded books. A few of my friends have graciously given books to the site for free downloads. There's essays, and there's a very nice forum where people treat each other like uh, like we, we should treat each other. Where I find the place that they like. Oh, and one other thing. If, well, golfers have money. Someone can tell them. I was going to give them a discount. I'll give it to you. So because of what's going on, and a lot of people are hurting, um, if, if you sign up and uh, on the thing... But there's like a little box. If you type in Corona, uh, it goes to $29 for three months. It's supposed to be 29 bucks a month, but it, during these times, I can't. Uh, I still have to pay the people who put the site together. I have to pay the person that transcribed them. I work with the deaf, so you'll notice a lot of my Instagram stuff has uh, mm -hmm. closed caption. Uh, so I work with deaf, deaf athletes, so it's very important to me that it's funny because somebody made recently a comment that there was a misspelling on one of the transcriptions. And it's just like, I wanted to go through into my computer, you know, fly through it and just punch this person in the mouth. Because, you know, it co I mean, I wouldn't say it costs. Like, yeah, it does. It costs a lot. But the only reason I can't give it away right now is there's costs. Yeah. So I, you know, yeah. I, I, I you know, as a strength coach, you know, you become independently wealthy, you know, making. You know, that one year I made 1200 bucks for a full-time uh, position. Uh, and, and listeners, you got that right. One, comma, two, zero, zero. So, so there's a lot of money. And that's 100 bucks a month. You know, that's 25 bucks a week for a job that's about, you know, was it at the time about 22 hours a week or 30 hours a week. So I don't want to brag, but I'm doing pretty good. You know? Well, thank you so much. Uh, we'll definitely have all of the information that Dan just shared with us in the show notes so you guys can find that there. And thank you so much, Dan, and thank you all for listening. Hey, guys, if you enjoyed this content, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes so that we can get this in front of more people. Thank you. Do you want to take your fitness to the next level? Join our Golf Fitness Tips Facebook group to learn more about how you can improve your fitness, and improve your golf game by upping your potential through mobility, strengthening, and wellness tips. Again, our Facebook group is Golf Fitness Tips. We'll see you there. Have a good one.